From Women, Food, and Agriculture Network, I'm Ash Bruxford, and this is the Plate to Politics podcast. Plate to Politics is WFAN's nationwide effort to support and strengthen the leadership role of women transforming our food system, from the federal agriculture policy agenda to what's on our family's dinner plate. This podcast provides audio leadership training to women engaged in healthy food and farming. You can download the resources mentioned in this podcast at wfan.org slash plate to politics. On this episode of Plate to Politics, we have Joe Beth Hayman, who ran for Oklahoma City City Council representing Ward 6 in 2018 and was successfully elected to City Council. She works in Oklahoma City at the Mental Health Association of Oklahoma as an education coordinator, and she is originally from rural Oregon and went to college in Oklahoma City, and after working in food access in Chicago, she returned to Oklahoma City and really developed a passion for public transportation and food access issues in Oklahoma City, which she represents in her role on city council. So in this interview, we'll talk a little bit about how she approached campaigning and some advice that she would give to people who are considering running for city council. Based on all of these experiences that you had, you know, working on food access in all of these different ways and, you know, all of the different people who you were exposed to through doing this work, you decided you wanted to run for city council. So can you tell me a little bit more about how you came to make that decision and like what were the connections that you made and what kind of pushed you to do it? I don't know how much you know about the city, but um, it's very big. It's absurdly large, square mileage. Um, And uh, so our transit, our public transit system is very, very anemic given how much ground, literal ground we have to cover. Um, and when I was, when I moved, when I moved to Chicago, I started, I kind of just got so used to relying solely on public transit, um, that I had gotten rid of my car and, um, just was, you know, by walking and using transit mostly in Chicago. And then, so I moved back to Oklahoma City, I kind of got this, like, well, maybe I can do this without a car. Um, like I'll, I'll see if I can figure it out and, um, got a bike um, because there, the bus at the time didn't run on Sundays and typically didn't run after like 6 or 7 p.m. So anything I wanted to do in the evenings or on Sundays, I would need a, um, some other form of trans- transportation. So that was sort of one of the, and just walking around Oklahoma City, um, I just started paying attention. I was kind of just one of those feelings of like, who who do I talk to about the fact that like the sidewalks in my neighborhood are awful and um, and it turned out it was the city. And so I started really paying attention to city government at that point. Um, well, Cause I'd always be like complaining or advocating around our uh, bus system and, and kind of the bike and walkability in the city. Um, and, but about a year, well, so about two years ago, I had a friend, um, who's a little older than me, probably just, I think she's just two or three years older than me. She was working at the city county health department, um, was a mental health advocate and public health advocate. And, um, she announced she was running for county commissioner 
And um, so in the back of my head, I had, you know, as my friends and I would joke about me running for city council, it was sort of one of these things that I was like, well, maybe I might, I might actually be serious about that, but it's just like, you know, 10 years from now, sort of like thing, like I had no idea about running for office. That wasn't anything that occurred to me that was really within my reach. Um, but then when I saw her announce um, that she was running for county commissioner and um, she kind of looked like me and, you know, kind of had a lot of, of a similar background, um, it just occurred to me like, oh, okay, well, I guess I don't have to wait. Um, like there are people that are, you know, in my demographic who are putting their names out there as, you know, maybe this is something I could do. Um, and, uh, and I had been not very happy with my former city councilor who I, um, we had previously. And so about a year and a half ago, it, it dawned on me that, um, the election for this race would be coming up in about a year. And, um, and so I really was like, I started talking to people I knew who I thought might have, um, just knowledge of whether anyone was thinking about running against her. Um, and really with the, like, cause I gotten so, um, my friend Carrie who ran for County commissioner and won, um, you know, I'd gotten, like I was giving money to her. I was like helping volunteer, like throwing events for her and fundraisers and things like that. And so I just really had it in my mind, like, you know, I, somewhere in the back of my mind, I was like, well, maybe I should run against who was then my city counselor, but I was really like, you know, I'm more than happy to support someone <laughs> who I find to be, you know, someone I would want to like throw my support behind. I'm not going to just like throw my name out there and like have two perfectly great candidates running against each other. So um, I asked around and there was nobody that sounded like they were, you know, in my sort of vein of talking about um, housing affordability and public transit and bike and walkability and um, kind of self-local um, community resilience. And um, and so I talked to my, I literally like texted Carrie and was like, hey, so can, who, how do you do this? <laughs> like how, what, what happens? How do you do this? And so she connected me with her campaign team to just sit down and talk and like they kind of laid out what, um, and and they obviously had a lot more knowledge of like, kind of what the landscape was and if there was going to be anyone else running. Um, and they hadn't really heard of anyone. Um, and then it actually turned out about a few weeks, I think, after I had decided to run, um, my former city councilor announced that she would be retiring. So it was going to be an open seat anyway. Um, and, uh, and so I was like, okay, I guess, I guess I'm doing this. Um, so, yeah, about, gosh, that was probably, yeah, May, June of last year is when I signed a contract with the consulting team and um, they kind of started working on putting a campaign together with me. I mostly worked with them. I um, had meant, I had wanted to, I was, before I, or as I was talking with them, they connected me with our local um, Sally's List. Um, and they do candidate training, but I actually missed it by a few months. 
because um, they do one. Did like, you go through any candidate training to lead so up to, to running, to or did you just naturally work with them? And I just wasn't on my radar. Um, so I, I ended up really not having any formal candidate training beyond what um, what my campaign team kind of coached me through. <laughs> or else I, I, I feel like I could have been pretty much up, up the creek without a paddle without them. <laughs> Yeah, um, well, definitely, yeah, so Skyfire is the name of the firm that I worked with, and they, um, they're they kind of um, kind of a similar okay. story. And so can you talk a little bit more about the area where what the Jewish support system look like, both through away, formal know, consulting, but then also, you know, friends or family um, or, you know, other um, people in your community? And then just realize, like, they loved Oklahoma and um, – wanted it to be better <laughs> and and they had gained these skills particularly the folks who um founded the company um went to dc and were working on national campaigns and so they gained these skills about around campaigning and thought they should bring those things back to oklahoma to try to help candidates that they believed in um particularly and and that a lot of other firms just wouldn't bother working with um just because they typically run younger people, mostly women, um, a lot of people of color, people who aren't, or at least, especially at the time that they started their company, gosh, like six or seven years ago, I think, um, weren't like good fundraisers. <laughs> My, you know, list of contacts who can each give me like $20 is not the same as a lot of candidates who can call their, you know, people to give them like $1,000 or whatever. So they really didn't they really are like doing this for um, kind of the longer goal of having a better place and better community um, because of their elected rep representatives um, and not really with like, they just want to make money in mind. Um, so all of the candidates that were, um, so not just the staff, but all the other candidates who are running in the midterms last November, I feel like we're a huge support system um, because a, a handful of their candidates were running for re-election, but a lot of their candidates that I knew were first-time candidates. Um, so they had a very similar, just like, or and they kind of started like, you know, a year or six months ahead of me, and so they kind of had all this experience, and like I would go through something and be, then be at the um, offices, like having a, you know, <laughs> complaining processing session and this elected, you know, person from the House of Representatives who walked in and they're like, oh, I had the same exact experience my first six months running for office and like nobody thought I could do it and um, nobody, you know, gave me money and that's exactly how fundraising went for me, that sort of thing. So that was a huge support network of just all of those other candidates who had very similar, similar um, experiences. Um, and then I do have a spouse, his name is Marty, um, and so he was hugely helpful just um, in kind of all the day-to-day -day things of taking care of the dog and cooking dinner and all the things I didn't really have energy for after getting home, you know, knocking doors on the weekends. Um, 
But, um, but yeah, and then even broader than that, a lot of friends and people from the community that did, um, did how, like, they sort of were attracted, I think, to my people that I didn't actually know before I started campaigning, but I made a, a handful of friends through the process just because they were younger people who were excited about the things I was talking about, and, um, and so they would start, like, driving me around while I knocked doors, and then we we're, like, really good friends now, so that was another kind of, I had these kind of different, like, arms of, of support networks that all um, got me to the finish line. <laughs> Well, on, you know, on the door knocking, how big is the district that you were running in? Um, so the actual area of, like, the footprint of it is actually one of the smaller wards in our city. Um, so Oklahoma City is, like, something like 620 square miles, um, and we but we only have about 500,000 people that live here. So um, we have eight wards. And they've divided those up into about 80,000 people um, a piece. So our, it's a fun little fact that I always like to mention is that a city councilor for Oklahoma City represents the same amount of people as a state senator does. Um, but we are only paid $12,000 a year. <laughs> so it's not really a full-time pay. Um, so, uh, but, so Ward 6, the district I represent, is actually really the lowest turnout ward across the city. So um, I think in 2015, when our previous city council person um, was reelected, there were like 1,200 people maybe who voted out of those. I mean, not all of those 80,000 residents are eligible to vote necessarily, but um, you know, out of probably 20 to 40,000 somewhere in there eligible um people who are registered to vote only about 1200 of them voted in our last city council election um so as far as door knocking um my targeted list of people who we really expected to show up was pretty um pretty small in comparison to i think what it might have been in any different race like i think um my friend carrie who ran for county commissioner she knocked on like 14,000 um, whereas I probably knocked on closer to four or five um, just because of the, the kind of targeting um, of who was really likely to actually turn out. Um, I can say I was really pleased um, with the turnout numbers and part of, partially, you know, I think with it being an open seat rather than an incumbent, we had a little bit better turnout. Then I think, too, um, just looking at the numbers, I think the fact that there were there was someone um, who's kind of outside of the the norm running. Um, like I think I alone had 1,200 people who voted for me about somewhere around there, and then my kind of most formidable opponent had I think about a thousand. So we really did drive turnout in a way that hadn't been there um, in the previous years, and I hope that that gets even better as we keep going forward because it's still just like abysmally low, <laughs> low numbers. Do you have any idea why it's so low? Um, so I think part of, well, historically, so this is a, it's an interesting area because it really is, so it's our downtown, um, which only in the last like decade or so has, um, it started to sort of, as many cities in the U.S. Um, that aren't your traditional, like New York, L.A., um, 
types uh, is downtown has been largely vacated for the last 20, 30 years and just in the last 10 years or so. Um, has there been a lot more there? I mean, there have been people living here for that whole time, but um, the the numbers and the demographics of the people were more people who were either trapped here because they couldn't move elsewhere or um, people who worked in the area. So um, there's like a federal building downtown where a lot of people um, work at that kind of live like right in the area. But then we also have um, like our most affluent neighborhood in the ward is just north of downtown. Um, and they really are the most engaged, most regular turnout um, block of voters. But then we have oh, like the north side, so that and it sits on a river. So the north side of the ward um, is really uh, kind of a mixed bag as far as really longtime residents and then kind of the people who've moved here in the last 10, 15 years that have been attracted to you know our um, increasing like employment opportunities, nightlife, you know, entertainment districts kind of stuff. Um, but then the south side of the ward um, is largely Hispanic and largely um, working class white folks. So I think historically the south side of the ward in particular has not been nearly as engaged as the north side of the ward. But even then, because we have so many um, historically working class people, um, there's just, I think, this assumption that, that they don't vote or they don't care um, versus the conversation about them maybe not having enough time <laughs> to do that um, or to be more in, as engaged as they'd like to be. Um, but then typically, I do know, I mean, I'm kind of dogging Ward 6 for our low turnout, but generally our city elections are much lower turnout than the people who actually um, live in those areas. Um, and just kind of on an even larger scale, our uh, voter turnout for Oklahoma is kind of historically much lower than the actual number of people registered to vote. So kind of a, a lot of different layers of things happening, but um, it sort of seems like it's been reversing that trend in the last, I would say like six or seven years, it seems like there have been more and more people saying, I never voted before, but I just voted for a county commissioner, sort of those more obscure offices um, that typically people aren't really paying attention to, it seems like. Um, there's a little more recognition that those things are very important and um, and we need to have as much engagement as possible. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you approached campaigning and what did your campaign look like? Kind of based or like model what I did off of, um, so my friend who ran for county commissioner um, had been inspired by these other women who had run that were part of the Skyfire kind of family um, of candidates. Because um, really, Skyfire really truly emphasizes like people can raise all the money they want, but that's not that's not a replacement for um, actually getting out and meeting voters. So uh, they really really emphasize knocking doors, um, and so that's I just kind of went into it knowing that that was going to be kind of my life for eight to nine months um, on the weekends and pretty much every spare moment I had. Um, and and really, I mean, I was a little, I think a little naive on the fundraising aspect of like, oh, I'll be able to, I mean, we'll be able to scrape something together. But it was, um, 
I mean, we were really like, did not make any money. And even now I like looked at our most recent finance reports and I was like, oh, wow, we really didn't raise any money compared to that other guy. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, the, I, the main thing that I really did was, I mean, I, I did spend a fair amount of time trying to fundraise, but um, I would say probably the amount of time I spent knocking doors was at least three or four to one about uh, the time I spent fundraising. Um, so I would pretty much on every weekend afternoon, um, and then after the midterms, I started kind of targeting specific weekdays that I had time in the afternoons and could take off of work um, and would just go knock doors for for hours until I either ran out of a list or ran out of the ability to talk to strangers at their door. Um, but, um, I mean, my, my whole sort of um, platform was really around the, the, the things that I mentioned before about um, housing affordability and homelessness and in the city. Um, uh, bike and walkability and really improving our public transit system. And then I kind of tacked on our sustainability efforts through the city. Um, but I often found that by the time I said three platform points to people on their porches, their eyes would sort of glaze over. So if they read my card and wanted to talk to me more about sustainability and my thoughts on that, like I'm happy to do that. But um, But generally would really start by asking people what what they were concerned about or wanted to see from the city um, and whether it was at events or at on the on people's doorsteps and um, and I was kind of pleasantly shocked I think I don't think I expected um, people my issues that I was talking about to resonate so much with people but um, most of the people I talked to it was either streets um, schools or one of the three, those three things that I was kind of talking about most often. Um, and I was kind of shocked that I was like, oh, people don't like just hate homeless people. Like they actually do care. Like I don't even have to say that that's something I'm interested in um, working on. It's just people have that concern. Um, so that was sort of my whole uh, strategy on, um, on campaigning. Um, and then, and we did do a few fundraising events, um, and um, but mostly, I mean, just really spending time knocking doors, talking to people um, was was kind of the main thrust of what we did. Wondering if you have like a a story or a specific moment when you came to realize, you know, that you identified as an environmentalist or as you kind of mentioned earlier, um, where some of your views as an environmentalist kind of began to change and bring in some of the social aspects that you've been become really passionate about. So conservation, I feel like, was typically what I valued. So especially living in Central Oregon, that we had all these, like, beautiful, um, you know, like Bureau of Land Management lands that were set aside for kind of, you know, you going out into nature. Um, and it never really, that connection between conservation and like what, what, what actually like my impact of like what my decisions about how I lived really had an impact on the world. I think um, 
never, I never quite clicked until I went to college and um, learning kind of about our food system, decided to become a vegetarian, um, and then kind of like kind of snowballed from there around all these different issues um, around like how you get around um, what food you eat, where you get your food from. But um, I think somewhere in there, and I can't think of a particular well, I guess, yeah, I mean, I, in, in college, I helped out at this kid's ministry where they were, um, it was this kind of little church that um, would feed kids on Sundays and Wednesdays, um, and I really started going to, like, because I, I, I was thinking about going into social work, and so I, I kind of thought, oh, this is a good opportunity to get some experience, like, working with kids who have, you know, a fair amount of barriers and um, lots of hurdles to have to jump in their lives. And um, and I just remember every time we would feed them just being, like, so angry that, you know, it was mostly brown and came in, coming out of cans and bags and um, that, you know, when I thought about, well, I'm, you know, even as a college student, didn't have much better access to things that were maybe fresh, but even then, like, it wasn't, I had more choices, I think, and so that, um, I just, there's sort of this time that I seem to remember it dawning on me that, um, people's access to, um, or even people's individual choices that they might make were so bound by the systems that we live in, um, that even if, like, these kids wanted access to better, fresher food, um, like really their choice was, do I get like the fruit cup that has been sitting on a shelf for who knows how long, or do I get the like red apple that was, you know, that like a bushel of apples was donated. Like that's still not like, like one choice might be better than the other, but those still aren't that great of choices. Um, because even the way that Apple got to them is still so fraught with potential um, issues that, you know, kind of that reverberate out into um, affecting our, any kind of sustainable community. Um, and so that, that, that was kind of, especially when I kind of got even more emphasized when I was um, like moved to Chicago and was working at the shelter and doing kind of that hunger relief work, um, just kind of constantly clicking in my mind that, um, like, well, I can try to make better choices or make choices where I stop eating meat maybe, but for people who um, don't even have those choices because they're so bound by the, their own circumstances and the systems that have kind of all brought us to this same location at this point in time, um, kind of on different sides of the table, like that where there's just something fundamentally that needs to change um, if if we're going to have like a larger conversation about long-term sustainability and environmentalism um, and people's access to making better choices. What is something that you would recommend to a woman who is considering running for office to read or know or to do? Reaching out if they know anyone who has run for office or who holds office that's a woman. I think 
reaching out to that person and or even just someone who's elected that they admire that you know maybe is at the city or county or state level that might be a little more accessible to them I would recommend having them reach out and um, ask them about their experience and ask them for any um, guidance or um, yeah just any help that they might be able to offer um, I think is what I would typically recommend Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Women, Food, and Agriculture Network's Plate to Politics podcast. Our theme music is by Expendable Friend, and the song is Song for Remen. Thank you to our sponsor, Rachel's Network, for making this audio leadership training program available to the women in our network. We hope you'll tune in next time, and until then, please go to wfan.org slash plate2politics for more resources.